You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We've been studying the New Testament book of James written by Jesus' kid brother. So as it is with Jesus, so it is with James. His dad is Joseph. His mom is Mary. And he grows up in a small rural town, poor family, going to work with his dad as a carpenter. Nonetheless, the Spirit of God is so strong in James's life that he is going to grow up to serve his big brother Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And, and while we're reading his book, we're discovering that faith is to be put into action, put to work in every aspect of life. And today, our topic is on how does faith work when you get angry? And we're going to talk about some things that are practical and personal, perhaps some stuff that you don't even want to think about because you're ashamed of it, you're embarrassed by it, you're struggling with it. Maybe you've even surrendered to it in a negative way. God wants to heal that today. God wants to deliver you today. So as we get into these matters, I want you to know this right off the bat. God is your father. Before you hear anything else, God is your father. That means he loves you. So what we have seen so far, the theme is about trials. And the first question is, what's your trial? We all have trials, something for which we struggle. There's a hardship, a difficulty. And in chapter 1, verse 12, we were told, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. So again, that first question is, what trial are you in? For some of you, maybe it's a big thing. You've got a big decision, a big obstacle. For some of you, maybe it's a bunch of little things. We've all got trials going on. And what happens when there is a trial around us? It triggers emotions in us. So we get emotional. So what is your trial trigger? What is it? What is that someone or something that triggers you? James, we get back into his letter and he writes this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What he's saying is there's a trial out there. Someone or something triggers you. You get emotional in here and your primary response is one of anger. You're frustrated. You're agitated. Anger is an important emotion because it reveals who we are and a lot of what we love. Because we get angry about things and people that we care about, whether they are harmed or endangered or abused or used or neglected. So when you're angry, it means that there's a person or a thing that is treasured by you. But when our anger manifests itself, we want to use words 
to express. We want to do something. And so as we're looking at anger, anger, we've got to ask, okay, what is it the Bible says about anger? Now, some of you have been wrongly told that there are bad emotions and good emotions and anger is always a bad emotion. Think about that a minute. Because if you look at all the injustice and evil and abuse, there are certain things that are just wrong. And if you don't feel angry, then you're actually not emotionally agreeing with God. So anger is a huge motivator. And the question is, is our anger good or bad? Is it righteous anger that agrees with God, or is it anger of man that does not produce the righteousness of God? So let's look briefly at some things that trigger unhealthy, unrighteous anger. Sometimes it can be entitlement. We feel like we are owed something. We deserve something. You are obligated to us, and when we don't get it, we get angry. That is unholy, ungodly anger, and it stems from selfishness. Selfishness is huge. And if you're not yet married, I'm going to speak some prophetic words over you, okay? You don't know how selfish you are until you get married. And you realize that this other person is going to take a lot of time and energy and money and thoughtfulness. And sometimes it can trigger frustration that leads to anger because we are selfish. Just so you know, marriage is about two selfish people coming together. But those two selfish people are loved and served by Jesus and learning to love and serve one another. So oftentimes, the frustration, the annoyances, the emotional responses in marriage are just totally out of selfishness. So you have two selfish people in marriage. Add to the mix, children. Your child says or does something that's an inconvenience, a frustration, and the result is you get angry with them. Look, I get it, been there, done that. But we humans, we don't always get it right. And if you're always upset, if your go-to is anger whenever somebody makes a mistake, then you are creating this perfectionist environment where you are going to be triggered by every mistake that they make. You are going to be triggered by their humanity. Now, ultimately, the worst negative expression of unhealthy anger comes out of bitterness and unforgiveness. When you are bitter, when you are unforgiving towards someone, everything they do triggers you. Just hearing their name triggers you. Seeing their face on social media triggers you. Having to interact with them during the holidays triggers you. So you and I need to make sure that our anger is not triggered by bitterness and unforgiveness because you know what those two things are? They are demonic strongholds. The Bible tells us that we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. And that is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. What he doesn't say is don't get angry. 
What he says is, you're going to get angry. And when you get angry, it's a powerful motivator that can lead you to good action or bad action. So choose that which is constructive, not that which is destructive. So let me ask you, does God ever get angry? Do you ever see uh, stories in the Bible where God's anger is on display? Yes. So if God gets angry, it is godly to sometimes get angry. But the difference between the unrighteous anger of man and the righteous anger of God is, are we angry about the things that God is angry about? And what James does here, he also quotes a verse from the Old Testament book of Exodus. Exodus 34, verse 6. God comes down and introduces himself. He says, hi, I'm God. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, yes, the Lord repeats who he is. It's kind of like, I'm in charge. You're going to forget that, so I need to repeat it. And then he says this about himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. God introduces himself as a God who is capable of anger, but it takes a whole lot to push him toward it. He doesn't begin with anger. Now, those of other religions, they tend to conceive of their false God as an angry God, a God who's on the edge of his seat just waiting to attack. And you got to do everything under your power to appease him. But the God of the Bible says, no, 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 no. I'm not an angry God. I'm a compassionate, loving God. Now, this is good news for us. It also isn't a good, it is a good example for us. The good news is if we know that God is loving and merciful and slow to anger, then when we blow it and we get triggered and we get emotional and we're in a trial and we've made some bad decisions, we don't run from God because he's going to hurt us. We run to God because he's going to help us. Just so you know, this line that James quotes from Exodus 34, that God is slow to anger, of all the verses in the Bible, this is the verse that is quoted most throughout the Bible of any other verse in the, any other verse in the entire Bible. You think of everything that's in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit decides, oh, there's one thing that they're going to forget about me. So I need to tell them over and over and over, I am a God who is slow to anger. As God is slow to anger, you and I, by God's grace, can become slow to anger. In addition, we're told some 60 times in the New Testament that Jesus is full of emotions. And the number one emotion that is mentioned of Jesus is that of compassion. Jesus is compassionate because he is slow to anger. But, same question, does Jesus get angry? Any stories in the Bible you can think of that Jesus gets angry? Yes, he does. He gets angry at the religious people who are making a mockery out of the temple. The place where people, God's people are supposed to go to worship and glorify him. They're turning it into a marketplace. 
It's like being coming into church and you can't even get in because out in the parking lot, a carnival is going on. People are selling their sacrifices, their animal sacrifices. You have to buy it from them because these are the approved ones. Yours wasn't good enough. So they're going to cheat the worshipers by having to buy their sacrifice. In addition, there's going to be some temple money that you need. Oh, and by the way, the exchange rate is pretty exorbitant. That's when Jesus makes a whip and he drives the people out of the temple saying, stop turning my father's house into a market. In addition, there's a story in Mark chapter 3 where Jesus heals a man. But he does it on a Sabbath. And the religious leaders are appalled at that. And Mark 3, it says that Jesus looked at them in anger. What Jesus gets angry about is man-made religion and tradition. If you're here and you're like, oh, I don't know that I, I, I want to be part of a religion... We're not here to offer you a religion. We're here to offer you a relationship with Jesus Christ. Religion is human beings making rules to control and punish one another out of fear. Relationship with Jesus is based on love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and a changed life that comes from God. Jesus gets angry when religion gets in the way of helping hurting people. point is this, if we're always angry, there's a problem. If we're never angry, there's a problem. But if you're slow to anger, you are walking in the spirit. And if religion and sin and death frustrate you, then you are sharing the heart of God. Now, the key is If you're going to be angry at sin, it should start with our own sin, right? So what happens is a trial is going on around you. It triggers emotion in you. Oftentimes, the dominant emotion is anger. And anger is not just what we feel. It's also what we say, what we do. So James is going to talk about those words that we speak out of anger. And he said, so you'll have a trial around you. It'll trigger emotion in you, perhaps even anger. And you'll want to communicate. You want to say something. You want to express yourself. And oftentimes when we do, what we say is unwise, unhelpful, unholy. So a couple of questions. When you are triggered, you're angry, you're emotional, do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? It's really easy to make a point. It's really hard to make a difference. Or here's another way to think about it. Do you want to be a critic or a coach? Let's say that you go to a sporting event and there's a player on the field or on the court who blows it. Everybody knows it. I mean, it's there on the jumbotron. They're going to keep repeating it. 
The coach sees it. And sitting behind the coach in the stands is a critic who sees it. And they're, go, they're both going to talk to this athlete about their failure, but they're going to do it differently. The critic is going to go online and mock them, malign them, frustrate them. The coach is either going to go out on the field or court or have them come to him off, just off the court. And he's going to help them. The difference between the critic and the coach is that they both see it, but it's in what they say. If you walk in love, you're being a coach. If you walk in anger, you're being a critic. And let me say this. If you're a parent, the worst thing that you can do is be your child's critic. Look, they're going to have plenty of critics. The most important thing we can do is be their coach. Do you want to beat people down or build people up? Do you want to win the argument or do you want to win the person? You can win an argument and lose a relationship. And one other question while we're here talking about when we hit these moments. Will you keep private things private or will you make them public? What happens when you have a trial? You are triggered. You're emotional. You get angry. And you tend to think things that should be private and make them public because you're trying to bring harm to that other person. And we live in this world where we all have this social media platform. How many of you, when you get angry, the first thing you want to say and do is not a good idea? And if you're sitting there going, I'm not really sure. I don't know if that's me or not. Ask your spouse. They will testify that most things that we say and do when we are triggered in the moment of anger are things that we're going to regret. And then the Holy Spirit like shows up a little later, <laughs> waits for us to get to that boiling point, and, and we're like, oh my goodness, I just torpedoed my own life. In addition, what he's saying is before you talk to them, talk to him. When he says, quick to listen, slow to speak, the point is sometimes you need to have a hard conversation. Well, have that conversation with God first. Let him instruct you on what you need to say. God can handle your anger. God can handle your frustration. And when you go to God with a situation about a person, as you're praying for them, it's changing your heart and it's preparing their heart so that you can have that conversation where the two of you are not going to get then to that point of anger. So what happens? There's a trial around you. It triggers emotion in you. You want to speak and act. And so out of that trial, out of that trigger, out of those emotions come words and deeds. And then James wants to talk about behavior next. So he says this, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. What he's saying is rather than yelling at them, open the word of God and listen to him. He goes on. 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So here's the process. Trial around you, trigger, emotion. You want to say something. You want to do something. First, what you need to do is be quiet, listen, start with the Word of God. You meet with God before you meet with them. You hear from God before you speak to them. And as you listen to the Word of God, you get this transforming of your mind and you start to think what God thinks and you start to feel what God feels because what happens when there's a trial and a trigger and an emotional response is like, okay, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I'm feeling. And you go to God like, God, what should I be thinking? What should I be feeling? What then can I say? What then can I do? And James uses this analogy that the Bible rightly understood it's like a mirror. What does a mirror do? It reveals who we are. So you open the word of God and you're reading and you're getting convicted. And you're like, I'm, I'm angry. I'm, I'm upset. I'm tempted. I'm making bad decisions. I've got some bad habits. Lord, I need help. That's awesome. That's how it should be. Unfortunately, what happens with those who don't want to change or don't think they need to change they read the Bible not as a mirror reflecting back, but as binoculars. Oh, <laughs> oh, I see, I see your sin. Oh, I, I see your problems. And as long as it's binoculars for you and not a mirror for me, I don't see anything in my life that needs to change. So I'm going to become proud and judgmental and hypocritical. And just so you know, those are the people who murdered Jesus. They quote verses to murder God. And what they were doing was criticizing Jesus' life rather than examining their own life. And the result is they are deceived. James says you need to receive the word of God humbly. Let it reveal you. Be honest about who you are and invite God to change who you now are. A few years back, there was uh, there's an organization called the Center for Bible Engagement. And they did this huge data survey. Over 100,000 people responded. And what they found is that if you're a Christian... And you're in God's word, but only one to three times per week. There was almost no effect on your behavior, your emotional, mental, and spiritual health and well-being. In other words, you read the Bible just one to three times per week. It's like you didn't even open it at all. But the survey went on. But once you're in God's word and God's word is in you, at least four days per week, all the variables change. 
All the data improves your emotional health, your mental health, your addictions, your relationships. Everything improves. The point is, when God's word is in the majority of your week, your week begins to change. Furthermore, James says, if you just hear the word of God, you're not automatically blessed. If you do the word of God, if you obey it, then you are blessed. James here is quoting his big brother, Jesus. Luke eleven twenty eight records Jesus saying, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Think about it in the same way. It's good to have a gym membership if you go to the gym. It's a great thing to buy vitamins if you take the vitamins. A seatbelt is awesome if you use it. The Bible is amazing if you obey it. So what he's saying is if you want to be blessed, God blesses people who place themselves in obedience in his word, to his word. So the question is not, are you hearing the word? Because you're here, you're hearing something. The question is, are you coming under its authority and obeying it? Okay, final two verses. Those who consider themselves religious, just so you know, everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. There's a true form of religion. It has to do with the relationship to Jesus. And then there's this false form that Satan counterfeits that has to do with man-made traditions. So that fuller verse. Those who consider themselves religious... And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. You know what that word means in the Greek? Worthless. <laughs> That's a big statement. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after orphans in their distress, orphans and widows, I should say, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What he's saying is this. If your spiritual commitments don't result in two things, it's all garbage. And those two things are, does it help others? Does it keep you holy? First of all, does it help others? That's why Jesus got angry at religious people because he's like, I'm trying to help people and you religious people are getting in the way of me trying to help people. So James says your religion is worthless because it's not helpful to those who are hurting. And what he's talking about are those in greatest need. Widows and orphans in that day they had no social standing. They had no financial uh, net for them. And let me say this. Right now, there are a lot of people who are in a tough place. And we have plenty of angry people yelling. We need more helpful people serving. 
You and I can spend all of our time online arguing with people we'll never meet, or we could put our phones down, lift our eyes up, and find people who are hurting and help them. It's real practical. It can be as informal as sending a message of encouragement, lifting them up in prayer, sending a scripture verse, calling to check on them. Sometimes there's a little more to it. So we've got a West Virginia mission trip, or we've got a Monday night food pantry, or we've got the Compassion Kids that we sponsor. So the first question is, does it help others? True religion. Secondly, it's about holiness. What happens is we have a trial, we get triggered, we get emotional, we say and do things that don't make us holy and are of no help to them. And if that is the worthless result, then we've got to rethink our entire sequence of events. What he's talking about holiness, he's talking about purity in the sight of God. And he says pure religion then is keeping yourself unstained by the world. Now, what he doesn't say is make yourself pure, make yourself undefiled, unstained in the sight of God. He says to keep yourself. The difference between making yourself and keeping yourself is realizing that Jesus already made you clean. This is where Jesus on the cross not only died for your sin, he died for your stain. About Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul said this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Not only does Jesus take on our sin, he places upon us his righteousness. 1 John says it this way, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in Revelation, it says that at the end of time, when Jesus returns, the church will be wearing white because Jesus Christ not only forgives sins, he makes you clean. Let me tell you this, what you used to do, you don't need to do anymore because who you used to be is not who you are anymore if you belong to Jesus Christ. So to summarize what we've learned from James today, if you will obey the word of God, it will literally re-hardwire your brain. It will allow your brain to go to new patterns, new behaviors, new attitudes. And then over time, those will just simply become a part of your life. Like I, I used to yell at them. Now I pray to him. I used to let everyone know what I'm thinking. <laughs> And now I've opened the word and I'm trying to figure out what he's thinking. I used to really get bitter. Now I forgive and love my enemies. And let me say this. If you have some bad habits and you're trying to change them and you slip back into an old pattern, don't be so discouraged. Just keep building on those new pathways. Keep architecting those new responses that you're learning. So how do you respond differently then? He said earlier in his book, count it all joy. 
Like, God, thank you for the opportunity to get out of this old pattern and get into this new pattern. Thank you, God, that who I was is not who I am. Thank you, Lord, that this is an opportunity for my whole life to pivot. A second thing you do is ask God for wisdom. That's James 1.5. Oh, God, I don't know what to do. Help me. Guide me in what I'm supposed to do. I'm listening. And then he says, be a doer of the word. The result, God has you in a perfection process. We've learned this also from James. Gifts come down from the Father. And he's going to help you. And he's going to send the Holy Spirit down who's going to bless you. And when all is said and done, you're going to stand before him. And he's going to put an eternal crown of life on your head. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.